Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discuss design. We're on episode 63, the BGG Con recap. Uh, for anyone who watched our last so- show, I have to apologize I was not there, but thankfully my co-hosts Sen and Tyler were here taking care of business, and uh, I'm just uh, thankful for the two of them and the great work they do, uh, but I'm thankful also to be back with everyone, so... Um, I gotta, I gotta ask, uh, Tyler, what have you been playing lately? Uh, lately, I have been designing my new mustache for Movember. Um, Ooh, nice! So everyone remember to do that because I can't grow a mustache to save my life. So this is my new one. There um, it is. Lately, there it is. Um, I got Clask in the mail last week, which Sen and I uh, have to play at some point. Um, I got uh, some games from Mosey Games in Taiwan. A couple from another friend of ours, Odd Hackwelder. And uh, I got a whole bunch of games from uh, uh, CSE games, including Fantasy Fantasy Baseball. Yeah, I hear, that's, uh, I hear that's an all right game. Woohoo! Yeah. It, it, it has its moments. Yeah, it has, it has its, its moments. moments. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by cards from that game. Well, you kind of are. I've constantly been playing that game lately. Yeah. Very excited because today is our first day on Kickstarter. So yeah, and how are you guys doing? Yeah, uh, very excited. We just got our seventy fourth, I think, seventy fourth backer. Hmm. So we're we're almost at the one third mark from funding. So um, my my hope or my goal was if we could be somewhere between seventy five and hundred backers and about a third of the way, that would be fantastic. So hopefully during the show we might see that. What is what is the uh, the goal? Oh, wow, that's not a that's not a high level at all. No, the um, CSE Games was real practical about what they needed, uh, so they said they set the goal at seventy five hundred. Thanks, Sen, for showing that. And uh, yeah, the the goal here is really more about uh, people helping out to make the game a, like really a better quality experience. So right. we're offering a lot of stretch goals so that people can influence how how they want the game to be made. Um, and also, uh, one of the the kind of fun stret- or reward amounts that you can do is you can actually do the full collection where you can buy not only fantasy baseball, but you can get fantasy football and fantasy hockey as a set. And if things go really well, then one of the kind of extreme uh, stretch goals is actually the, they'll throw in a fourth game for free. So. Ah, very fantasy cool. Fantasy rugby or fantasy lacrosse? It, it'll be fantasy football European style. So soccer. Uh, oh, soccer. Very nice. In time for nice. World Fan- Cup. Fantasy football. Fantasy football. Nice. And will JR be working on you with all of those? Yeah, so JR and I are still uh, tweaking up some of the rules for the different versions. Uh, we just need to make sure baseball was really singing, but we uh, a lot of times we, f- we found different rules that we enjoyed, but we didn't think were as baseball and we're a little better suited for some of the other sports. So uh, we've built those into them. And then some of the rules you can actually apply retroactively from some of the other sports. Mm-hmm. So if you like them, you know, a certain fantasy football rule, like, for instance, in fantasy football, you can only have one quarterback, and certain positions right. matter. Positions don't matter in baseball, but if you'd like to retroactively apply some of those rules, you can to mix up your experience as well. Right. Okay, so... I look forward to fantasy hockey, because I... I'm not so much a baseball fan, but I love hockey, so... Yeah, and the, nice. the, the fun thing with hockey is we actually have the NHL license, so we'll actually be using the NHL logos and maybe even monsterize some of the logos and some of the mascots and That's have neat. some fun with some of the player names. So right here, this is the uh, pledge level for the full collection for 50 right? Yeah, that's it. 50 bucks, three games. I uh, really can't beat that, and they'll mail out... Um, at three different times, uh, that to me is kind of a no-brainer uh, pledge level. But yeah, it's awesome. I'm, that's a uh, that's a really yeah. really nice pledge level to have. Awesome. Well, I guess everybody doesn't really want to see my screen, so I'm going to turn that off. Hello. But what what games have you been playing, Sam? Uh, today Scott and Ellie and I played a bunch of games. Uh, well, a couple games. We got to play um, Josh and. Daniel's Bomb Squad Academy. So the week before, we played um, the actual Bomb Squad game by Dan Keltner and um, David Short. And then this time, this week, we played Bomb Squad Academy, which is a card game that uh, you've probably played, Daryl. Um, 
being a very, very GAC-tested game um, by, Darryl, uh, by Daniel and Josh Kapow. I think I might have played that game the most of GAC. <laughs> yeah, we played it quite a bit. Uh, yeah, and I played that game a lot. It still plays really fast, really well. Um, some really great decision-making moments in the midst of the game. Um, they've cleaned up the tools a lot, which was wonderful because they were kind of messy in the original version. And so now it's it just plays smoothly and very nicely. And the artwork is, you know, Josh art, so it's great. And uh, the rules are very comprehensive. They're actually, they're actually, it's a really small book, but they're really long. There's like 30 pages of rules. It seems like a lot, um, but in the end, it's very simple to play. And then we just picked out uh, one of my old favorites, Tash Kalar, um, and we played that. We didn't get to finish it because um, I think Dragon's Den was shooting at Fanshawe today or something weird, and so um, they had to clear us out of Fourwall Hall, so Scott won by default. I'm going to call it an asterisk on Scott on Scott's win there because I was coming back. I was coming back. Um, but that's one of my favorite kind of weird spatial rotation placement games mm-hmm. that uh, really challenges the brain to work. And it's <coughs> one of those games that I think you either like or dislike really quite a bit. So um, I know some people who really like it, and then I know some people who dislike it quite a bit. Um, but... I don't think anybody who dislikes it disrespects it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like they don't like it because it's not their kind of game or they, they know they're not good at that spatial recognition skill, um, but they understand that there's a really strong game beneath it. I mean, it's, it's Vlaja, so what are you going to do? It's, it's going to be good. No matter if you like it or not, you know the, the game is a solid game at, at the level. You just might not like it personally. Um, then other than that, you know, not too much. Been still working on a lot of stuff. Um, I've seen that Eves has been using Tabletopia. Have you been using Tabletopia or seen it? You know, I've uh, I've been strictly on Tabletop right now, and that's because um, Tabletop what, Simulator. Yeah, Tabletop yeah. Simulator on Steam. <clears throat> um, the too. reason I have been for now, and I I will make the shift. Uh, I'm not I'm not against the shift unless Tabletop somehow convinces me not to make the shift, but for now, there is a cost associated, and so, for instance, uh, Eves was not on Tabletop Simulator, and he pledged towards their Kickstarter, which was a fantastic offer, but what I'm waiting for, which they've already promised to do, is people that are content creators, so inventors that put up their games, if you put up your games on there, then you can earn credit towards your membership. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not offering that yet, so you have to only straight up pledge or pay, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to double pay um, for two different services whenever I paid for Tabletop Simulator. So Yeah, I mean, although now, I only paid like $10 for Tabletop right, Simulator, yeah. but still. But like you're covered for life with Tabletop Simulator, so yeah. the idea is I'm going to use that until they kind of have everything straightened out and they can offer free membership. Once they offer free membership, then I'll load a few of my games that I'm working on, use that as another testing location. One of the things I do like is that your users don't necessarily have to have the program. Because mm-hmm. this is browser-based, right? Ta- uh, Tabletopia is browser-based, so, so you can you just can shoot them a the URL them. and... Exactly. So that's a little a little more friendly for some of my uh, testers. Uh, but for now, um, the people that I'm working with all have Tabletop Simulator. Um, so it, it's working for me, but I do see the advantages that Tabletopia will bring. Um, also, a major reason people are drawing to Tabletopia is because they're offering a lot of games that are already complete. I'm not one for playing digitalized versions of board games, so that's not really a service that I personally would take yeah. advantage of. Yeah, me either. For me, it would be strictly because the uh, if the physics are better, you know, if the manipulation of the, of the pieces is better on Tabletopia, which I believe it is. I haven't really tried it myself yet. I have to get around. Slightly. I've watched demos. The the physicality is a little improved. What I've heard is actually far more improved is actually the creation process is a little more uh, user friendly. Mm -hmm. So uh, instead of kind of knowing a little more coding stuff, uh, it's uh, all graphic interface, very uh, simplistic to, to build the game, which for me is a big plus. Oh, hey, somebody was uh, asking why there's no fantasy fantasy basketball. Uh, yeah, that that could come in time as well. We did discuss that as even another stretch goal that we haven't announced. <laughs> um, but that is one that we are open to designing, but 
we just kind of had to start somewhere. The reason we started with baseball was because both JR and myself are huge fans of baseball. Uh, really? We love all, we love all sports, <laughs> but those are, those are our first loves. Can we do um, fantasy fantasy wrestling? I think Tony well, and I would be up for that. Fantasy my, fa- fantasy wrestling. my favorite my favorite suggestion was Final Fantasy Sports Ball. So that, that it sounds would be like a, something Eric would make. Yeah, it, I thought it was a really funny suggestion that someone said like we spoof all sports together. So and that that would be like the final one in the series. So uh, who knows? Get really ridiculous and go to like that uh, trampoline basketball they had. Oh, yeah, slam ball. Slam yeah. ball. Ba- basketball. Yeah. Ooh, ult- fantasy, fantasy, ultimate frisbee. Seth, Seth oh, Jaffe yeah. would play. Dodgeball. <laughs> if you get into, you know, if you can dodge ball. a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Yep. Yeah. All that good stuff could get yeah. integrated. So I mean, we're not against that, and if the demand is there, then we can keep making this wonderful <laughs> line. But for now, we're starting with baseball because of our first love. We're doing football because we know that there's a lot of people that love fantasy football. And then NHL because we already have the NHL rights. So that's kind of where we wanted to start. We thought the soccer would be actually really cool coming up to the World Cup because maybe we could do some monster versions for the countries. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like a monster beaver for Canada. Or Uh, yetis. uh, Yetis. uh, Like, there's some cool stuff we could do there. Cool. And rolls through the yard, of course. For all those Toronto fans out there, if they are going to play fantasy fantasy hockey, just because you win one game doesn't mean you're going to win it all. Yeah, <laughs> if you win game one, don't start a parade. Damn. <laughs> um, and is Jay? Uh, sorry, is Rob doing the art for all of the fantasy fantasy? No, actually, so uh, really exciting. We have Adam McIver on board for, uh, for the football. Nice. And we're still figuring out details when it comes to uh, hockey and the others. Um, both Rob and uh, Adam have, in, have uh, said they'd be very interested, so we're just really excited that they're both involved with the project, and we'll kind of figure out the next sports as as it comes to it. And even a few other artists have expressed interest, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a good thing that a bunch of really talented people are all kind of coming forward saying, I'd love right. to be involved in the project. Yeah, so, so if anybody out there in YouTube land thinks that they can uh, outdo MacGyver or Lundy at doing the art oh, for yeah, fantasy, oh, fantasy series... Another contender. Oh, oh, another contender. Peter Meeple doing the art. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's, a, there's a submission like, entry right there. Oh, my God, Tyler. <laughs> All right. So um, I, we know where you've been playing games and what you've been playing, so let's just actually get our guests in. Yeah, let's get our guests in here, and then I can be talking about my, my stuff while they're also yeah, for talking. for sure. So for those of you who didn't know who are the guests tonight, we got Mr. Jehovah. What's up? You in the house. Gail's in the house. And Miss Straw herself, Stephanie Straw, coming in all the way from Arkansas. For anyone who doesn't recognize Stephanie, there oh, yeah, was she's in, she's a beautiful oh. event that actually I would like Stephanie to explain why her <laughs> hair is dyed, because it's for an amazing cause. Why it's dyed plaid? Yeah, no, why is your hair plaid? <laughs> no, that'd be um, amazing. If you could dye your hair plaid, that'd be but awesome. You can. You actually can do. They have hair tattoos. Okay, so um, for Extra Life, Extra Life for Kids is a, a charity. It actually runs year-long, but... They have a specific marathon. It's a 24-hour uh, gaming marathon. Video games, RPGs, board games, everything. Um, so I went to Mox Boarding House in Seattle, and we did the marathon. And if I got to a certain goal, um, I would let, which was 2,500, I would let, um, or 2,000, uh, I would let the highest donor pick the color of my hair, which the highest donor actually ended up being someone anonymous. That was $540. The next two were $500 each, and they both picked uh, these colors, silver, purple, and blue, between the two of them. So I decided to do them all. And Brittany Bow dyed my hair, actually, at the con. <clears throat> you can go on my Twitter, at insert right here, and you can see the bleach blonde that I had for about 12 hours. Um, but I, after that, I can honestly say I'm much bigger fan of this than the bleach blonde. So yeah, so the bleach blonde. Did you have more per- fun though when you were I, blonde? I did. So my my blonde personality is Nadine. Um, Nadine. She has that name. Yeah, Nadine. Uh, I don't know if we need to name the blue hair me, but um, the the bleach blonde me was Nadine. But the, there are photos on my Twitter of that of me with bleach blonde hair. Do things that Stephanie Straw wouldn't do. She drank pink champagne. <laughs> wow, classy, <laughs> very classy. Yeah, so um, so really good cause. Ended up raising 
so far $3,500, but you can still donate uh, if you would like. Bitly.com slash Mox, M-O-X. And if we raise enough money, we will shave her head. $10,000. That's a legit goal. $10,000. I will. Zing, zing. I will shave my head. I'll let. I I will. For $10,000, I will fly. And let Tyler do it? I will. Oh, I'll I'll do that. I will go to Tyler and let Tyler shave my head. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. The me- the whole meeple syrup crew would be there. You have, yeah, yes. you have you have a month. You have a month to do that. One month, ten thousand dollars, people. Meeple syrup crew shaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, this is. Are you coming up for the meeple syrup camp thing stuff? It's like, when is it? January one, two, three. Yeah. So so soon after the holidays. Yeah. You guys are. It is actually me. a holiday. Well, that's the, true. The beauty that's is true. you could come up, celebrate New Year's with friends. I know you have tons of friends up this way. You could celebrate it in like Toronto, hang out with like Nicole. I'm sure she would love that. She would and, hate and, that. And then, <laughs> and then come out to Maple Syrup Camp. Yeah, I want know. to. I really want to. I really yeah. do. Make it happen. We, hey, Mr. Yeah. Hova. Mr. Hova, what's up with you? Yeah. Oh, I'm back from BGG Con, which I think we're going to be talking a bit about. Nope, not at all. And, no, nope. not at all, not at all. Nope. And uh, I've got most of my voice back. Yeah, you sound you're sounding much better, Gil. Yeah, I, it was you still uh, it, rough though, bro. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm getting there. Yeah, Sunday Sunday night, uh, Gil and I played a little fantasy fantasy baseball. Yeah, because Gil's just... also a big baseball fan. Yes, yeah, I am. And so we we were hanging out, but man, that voice was sounding a little scratchy. So why don't we jump into why your voice was scratchy, Gil? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were up to at BGGCon? At BGGCon, I was a vendor. It was my ninth year at the convention, but my first year as a vendor. So that was a totally new perspective. Uh, for me, and it was fantastic. I had an incredible time. Um, I came with uh, Formal Ferret Games, uh, which is my own company, uh, and we showed off Bad... There it goes. Bad Medicine, um, and uh, the game was received very, very well. Uh, Also showed the networks, although that game was not uh, for sale. For pre-sale, yes, but not actually for sale. Uh, And that was a lot of my BGG con was uh, being in one of the two vendor rooms and slinging games. Cool. So there's only two vendor rooms there? So it's not as vendor-focused. Uh, there used to be one vendor room. Oh, and... so it's more vendor-focused than it used to be. Yes. Uh, yes, there was one vendor room, uh, and uh, they outgrew it. Uh, last year, they put a little... A, they put some of the vendors in the main hall, uh, and they'd done that in the past, but... Uh, they tried to do it a little more last year, and they decided to shuffle the rooms about. And one of the rooms got renovated, so they put the vendors there. Um, and you know, we can talk a little bit more about like exactly how that worked out because it was kind of interesting. Uh, a question for you, Stephanie. Uh, just an overall feel of uh, what your experience uh, was like with uh, with the con. Just that's it. Just how how did I feel overall? Yeah, just just if like compared to other conventions you've gone to, like yeah. feel it because like as with they were just saying like less vendor because I went to Gen Con for the first time this year and it is just overwhelming product yeah. product product where everything I saw on Twitter and video feed uh, BGG Con is more gaming and hanging out in a an atmosphere. Yeah, so BGG Con, if I had to just go to one con a year, right now, of the ones that I've been to, it would be BGG Con. Now, there's a lot that I haven't been to, um, and the reason for that is it takes the best parts of all of the conventions that I have gone to that I really like. Uh, For example, at Origins, it feels really small and intimate, and I feel like you get to play a lot of games, and I feel like BGG Con has that. Um, it does have vendor purchases and actually exclusives and things that people haven't seen yet because it's after Essen. So it has a little bit of that at Gen Con, like these new games are out, like the hotness. So it's that too. Um, it also has, and this is kind of recent in the past few years, actually really mostly this year, 
Um, Unpub has been a big part of BGGCon and prototypes and unpublished games. Um, they had the Protozone last year. They had it the year before last year. Um, we had it for a while. I used yeah. to run it. So right. So, but now I feel like it's such it's a bigger part now. Absolutely. Um, and, and Absolutely. You, you more often will see people playing prototype games in the main hall and just everywhere and talking about games and publishers talking to each other and they're speed dating. So it has also the unpublished games too. Um, and also it's close for me, so that's that's a benefit specifically mm. for me is it's <laughs> a drive. I don't have to fly there, so it costs less for me. Um, I really like the flea market. That's not something that's at a lot of cons. Um, there's an auction. Um, and for people that are flying in, it's right at, it wasn't always, but it's right at the airport. So nice. the transportation is super easy. And <laughs> Which convenient. is a pro and a con. I'm going to come back to that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a good thing and a bad thing. And then the food, okay, well, you're Canadian, so maybe you have, like, some crazy thing against, like, U.S. airports. I don't know. No, we just like, like, outdoors and... Light and air and fresh. Yeah, sorry, I don't like being surrounded by you can, you can planes. Go outside. We went. We went outside. Um, but yeah, and, and like outside. I'll get there. Don't worry. The food. The food is good. There's places to go. There's places to stay. The the restaurant hotel or the hotel restaurant is really good. Yeah, um, I'm shooting myself in the foot that I didn't go down with Daryl because I probably could have arranged something. But next year, Daryl. The only thing it's missing yeah, is is more cosplay. And more Canadians. No, I'm kidding. More Canadians. It yeah, could use more Canadians. More Canadians cosplaying. More, more everyone. And you know what's crazy? So that's the other thing, too, is a lot of people fly in, like Zen from Japan, and mm. that's True. that's crazy. So there's a lot of people that are flying in from countries when they could just, you know, easily go to Essen, and they're just they're coming here to the U.S. for BGGCon. True. I hung out with a German. <laughs> Not Nils. He's also well, German. A, a German German. Nils is like an American German. Well, now he is. Yeah, he but was Henning, a Canadian German. German. Henning was there also. Henning's Henning German. was there. Yeah, Henning's yeah, German. Yeah, I, yeah, Henning was there. He was in the Stronghold booth. I worked with him. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, Mr. Hova, what, yes. is, what do you think is the best thing that BGGCon specifically offers to designers? I know Steph went over a lot of it. But specifics. Let's get into some of the specifics. Oh, so specifically a designer. Um, I mean, yeah, that the unpub room is becoming so much more of a resource, and I know that a lot of designers kept on going upstairs, uh, you know, to get their games tested, and they had a, um, a constant supply of play tests, and I think that was fantastic. If I wasn't at my booth all the time, I would have spent a little more time up there. As it was, I was only able to make it up there, uh, I think, sat late Saturday night, and it still looked fantastic. Uh, another thing I think that it shows uh, for them is um, there are a lot of publishers there and a lot of publishers willing to accept pitches. And uh, uh, my two games that were published by other publishers, BGGCon was a big part in getting them signed. You know, just that exposure and the ability to meet publishers I think is a great, great resource for for designers. And even if you're not going there to pitch, uh, just for the networking aspect and meeting people, um, it's, I mean, Gen Con is an amazing con for that too, but at Gen Con, you only get to meet people for like 30 seconds and then you're on your way. And BGG Con, since it's so much smaller, you actually get some time to sit down and hang out and socialize with these people that you don't get at a larger con. Absolutely. No, that's some great stuff. Some things that definitely make uh, BGG stand out. There is uh, one particular uh, event that I had heard uh, the legend of coming up to the event and then really saw firsthand, which was quite the unique experience. And I know Sen would be very uh, jealous of this one, actually. Not, yeah. the, not the spin tops, but there was a, a scotch crawl. Oh, that too. I, and I was curious, Stephanie, if you could tell us a little bit about the Scotch Crawl, if you can remember any of it. Yeah, no, here's the deal. I love Scotch. Scotch, right? Scotch, Scotch. Scotch. Down, 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 Yeah, Scotch. I love Scotch a lot. Um, Me too. So I had heard about this. Uh, I followed Scotch Touch Dummies separately. Um, from BGGCon, and then I heard from someone else that, oh, they do a Scotch Crawl at BGGCon. I'm like, wait, 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 
gosh test dummies uh, play board games? That's crazy. But, so Bart uh, Chief from Scotch test dummies also awesome. has, yeah, awesome, <clears throat> part of the Dice Tower, and he has like the a Chief. different show. Yeah, he has a different show too, and I hadn't heard about that because the Dice Tower is like a million shows in the. Yeah, I actually I don't know why I didn't mention it to him, but the Chief made a Walled City video. I should have gave him a shout out. Yeah, yeah, he, so he loves board games, um, and he comes and he does the Scotch Crawl, this is something he's apparently done for a couple of years, and I missed it last year, didn't get to go to it, heard about it, like, the day after, so I go, okay, well, I'm going if they do it this year, so I've been literally bugging them on Twitter via DMs, like, do the Scotch Crawl, when you're doing it, can I do it, like, there's probably a restraining order, like, my lawyer will have to get involved, but I really wanted to do it, so, um, he was like, yeah, we're definitely going to do it. For legal rules, like or like, there are some legalities with it. They have to do it in people's rooms, which is why it's a Scotch crawl and not just like a room that you go in and have a Scotch tasting. Yep. So they have people volunteer their rooms, and some of them cook. Like this is the thing. Like they cook like waffles, chili. Mm -hmm. He yep. throws like cheese and crackers. It was yep. amazing. It was all um, there, folks. Yeah. So I got to taste so many new scotches. A lot a lot of them I had already tasted, but I got to taste so many new scotches, and it was amazing. I met a bunch of people. There were like seven rooms. Um, some people maybe don't realize that scotch is a sippin'. Yeah, <laughs> I think a few people may have gulped. So, yeah. yeah people are showing up with glasses like this. Oh. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe the Route 44 scotch tasting was not the way to go. Um, yeah, I think it may have gave the wrong message when everyone was handed big gulp glasses. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. wrong. So I had, a little, I had a little glass, and I was, I was just tasting. No, uh, no, I'm just teasing. There was a majority of people that were yeah. drinking to enjoy and taste. Mm -hmm. um, I will say I will say this, and I don't know how to do this better, but as a first timer, I found this incredibly creepy. But the goal was that you just kind of found the rooms that were hosting amongst random other guests. So the door was a creek, then you hoped that was a room that was participating. So you do a little <laughs> bit of an you kinda of do a knock knock and there might be something like Get out of here and so, then you'd start like walking away and yeah. then you're like, Oh wait, no, that's that's us. Right. Those are yeah. So so the way that they did it was the people that um, volunteered the bottles of scotch in the rooms that we met like beforehand and we were given the room numbers and we knew oh, and we the numbers and sent those out. So we knew specifically what rooms we could go to. So I think yeah. that we Make it into a puzzle hunt. Oh, yeah. Probably, probably oh, could have yeah. done a better job of um, because people weren't even sure of the time. So yeah, people they, weren't sure of the time or the it's locations. Not, it's not so like an official I event. I found myself so. in random rooms. Got to know some new people. You're waking up people in their beds. Where, yeah. Where's your scotch? Yeah. Where's your scotch? <laughs> yeah. Bring out the good stuff. Yeah, so it was on floor 12. So, but yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun, and I like that I did something for a couple of hours um, that wasn't board game related, yes. but with a bunch of people that enjoyed board games. I think yeah. that's cool to like mix uh, hobbies and interests, kind of like you were talking about with baseball yeah. and sports and board games, is mixing those two together. I enjoy Lagavulin and Time Stories. So. Mm. There you go. Well, I enjoy Lagavulin at least that much. Um, very cool. Uh, yeah. So if there's anybody out there who likes jujitsu and like choking people. <laughs> And board games at the same time. I'm your Huckleberry, um, Daryl. Let's see. Tyler's next to Mr. Hova. Yes, uh, Mr. Hova. I have a question for you regarding something you brought up. Uh, the unpublished area. Um, have you gone to whether it's BGG Con or something, and you see something uh, in the unpublished, and you're like, "Oh, hey, that looks really cool." You go to an event next year, and the game's published, and you're like. Wow, that is not the game that I saw. <laughs> it's I don't think it's happened to me, you know. Um, I mean, I, I think my my favorite moment uh, of that was I, I like when I get to help out a game and you know give some piece of suggestion, and then I see the game get published and um, and thrive because of it. Uh, I remember a few years ago uh, a couple of designers bringing their first game uh, that got signed recently, but uh, 
I made one small suggestion and it made it into the game. That game was Ophir um, by Charles Wright and Jason Kingsley, and it's just it's a really fantastic light pick up a deliver game, but it works and it works very very smoothly. They got amazing art for it, so I love seeing these games that start off as you know these small gems, uh, and I haven't seen them like totally get derailed into these what happened here things. I usually they usually turn out okay. Uh, now, I know I've asked uh, Sen this before, and I'll pose the question to you. As a designer, do you do you enjoy playing games, or do you go something like, oh, i got to see the unpublished area, I, I love the prototype aspect? Or I'll be honest, um, for BGGCon, my favorite area is the hot games area, because uh, I get a lot of opportunities to play the Essen games uh, that I didn't get to play otherwise. And this was weird because uh, this was the first year I actually did go to Essen, but as you may know, Essen is not really a playing convention. You don't get to play a lot of games at Essen. Essen's a buying convention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He plays verboten. You know, you <laughs> buy, you, you, you get a big duffel bag and you stuff as many games as you can in there, and then you know you spend your nights. Okay, you get to play a little bit in the in the evening, but pretty much the big game is trying to figure out how to stuff everything into your bag so you can uh you can fit everything, and then you yeah. play it all when you get Darryl home. Daryl has that down to an art. <laughs> yeah, it's, He's a mule. Pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. I finally got to do a little bit of that uh, this year. Um, so I actually got to play uh, games like, for example, the Ponzi Scheme and uh, and Domus Domini, I think it's called. Uh, though Domus was not in the hot games room, which is too bad because it's a great game. Yeah, it's um, a nice under-the-radar one. Yeah, so I got to play a few games beforehand, but this year I got to play Tricarian, uh, and that was uh, that was phenomenal. That was a really, really good game, uh, right in line with Terra Mystica. Uh, so while I love to play prototypes, uh, for me one of the big appeals of BGGCon is that hot games area, and you know to get to to play there is always. Uh, oh, and I got to play Mule the board game also, which was fun. <laughs> Speaking of mewling, yes, yes, Daryl, you'd be really good at it. No, this Mule, uh, of course, being based off the legendary '80s uh, Commodore 64 uh, game Mule, yeah. and uh, yeah, and uh, it was cool. But you know, it you know a few years ago, Planet Steam came out, and uh, Planet Steam took a lot of liberties, but it is Mule at its core, and. Uh, I mean, I liked Mule the board game, but it was really faithful to the source material to a fault, you know, to the point that there are some real random events that come in. And while I thought they mitigated the randomness, the randomness was not a problem for me. They had a real metagaming way of doing that, like the way they did the uh, the events is uh, the player in first place draws a uh, lucky card and decides who to hand the lucky card to. They can't take it themselves. So presumably they'd hand it to the player in last place, but metagaming, you know? And then whoever they handed it to gets to draw the unlucky card and gets to decide who to hand it to. And there's a decision there. Do you hand it to the player who just handed you a good card? And again, metagaming. You know, it's made for metagaming, which... Some groups are going to love, they're going to love that sort of drama, but a lot of groups, and frankly, I think groups that would enjoy all the other mechanisms would not enjoy the metagaming. Uh, they have a variant there where you just calculate who's got the most and least money, and that's who get, draws the lucky and unlucky cards, and honestly, if I played it again, I would probably play with that. I am not a metagaming gamer. I don't like metagaming, so, so there you go. Um, Planet Steam has no metagaming in the box, you know, and I, well, yeah, it doesn't really have, everything is, is really nice and juicy in the game, and I think that's why, personally, I would lean more towards there, but I would like to play the Mule board game again, you know, with the advanced variant and trying a few things, because I think it's got some cool things working for it. Cool. So, Steph, here, just before we move on to asking more design questions, this is a suggestion from the YouTube people. Uh, not uh, the actual official YouTube people, but our YouTube watchers. It's from YouTube. Um, they, it's they're from suggesting YouTube. that this is who you should cosplay as. Yeah. 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 Oriana yeah. from Battlecon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Why not? All right. I got it. Dang. I yeah. need to make I a blue. I was gonna do that one. <laughs> I need, I need to do a blue-haired. Stephanie Straw, you don't have to put on the red dress. <laughs> <laughs> it's red pants, but it's it's a. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Red pants and now red hats. My friend yeah. likes. Maybe I'll do Oriana with like a flowing, but I'll do pants with like a like overskirt. Red pants for sure. Yeah, yeah red pants for yeah. sure. <laughs> Excuse me. So, Steph, tell us. Um, 
about your views of how Unpub has added to BGGCon in terms of getting designers designs out there to the public and maybe even pushing towards publication, uh, Kickstarter, or to, you know, getting signed with another publisher. How's it yeah. going? So, for one, I feel like Gen Con is kind of like a frenzy, right? So, you can talk to those publishers, but kind of the main thing that a lot of them, especially the bigger ones, are trying to do is they're trying to sell their games. They're trying to sell their games that are hot. They're trying to sell the ones that they just announced. Um, they're trying to, uh, they're releasing like exclusive stuff. So Gen Con is really busy for vendors, which are our publishers, right? So I feel like um, cons like Origins and BGG have sort of been this now, let's find for, for publishers, like let's find these designers that are already here at this event, why why try and like receive a prototype in the mail and then play it, like learn how to play it and then play it and see if it's any good, why not just spend 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking to all of these designers that are here and um, getting a feel for these games and I feel like more and more publishers are doing that and more and more designers are bringing their prototypes Mm -hmm. to these cons, and not even necessarily to play with publishers, but just to get play-tested, because here you have a bevy of people that love games, right? Um, and that's the perfect starting audience for your game, because you want to sort of polish it with that crowd, and then I think you can move on to, depending on how deep you want to appeal, do you want to appeal to casual gamers? Yeah. <clears throat> then you can move on beyond BGG, to, um, you know, blind playtesting and, and stuff like that. Right. So I feel like it's almost an essential step in game design is a convention-like experience at BGG, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Steph, that um, and Tony Miller on the YouTube feed is saying Origins Unpub BGG Con are officially becoming his conventions of yeah, choice. Exactly. And uh, for me as well... <laughs> While I got a lot of work done at Gen Con and got, you know, a, you know, it was effective, I personally like being able to actually sit down with people for more than the five minutes that they have. Uh, and you know this stuff because you were on sales actually at Gen Con and sales is just, that's the focus. That's unfortunate nature of the, of the beast when there's 60, 70,000 people clamoring for sales, you got to feed the beast. Um, and so I think that Origins and BGCon might be that nice sort of meeting of both worlds where you can have a lot of play, you can get a lot of play tests done, and you can actually sit down with the decision-making people of the companies because they're going to be there and not focusing on sales so much. Um, the other thing that I saw a lot on my, on my uh, Twitter feed and on my Facebook feed is a lot of people are saying, you know, after BGGCon, they had a lot. <laughs> Con cred? Yeah, I thought this was going to turn into a super question, but Sen just died. Yeah, I like I like robot Sen better, I think. Yeah, I think my concred made it over the the wires and made it all the way up to Sen. Yeah, maybe. But um, anyways, a lot of people on my on my feed were having. Their posts about you know got like hundreds of good play well, I mean not hundreds but lots of good play tests done at BGGCon, and am now confident that we can go forward to Kickstarter in 2016 or something like that, which I didn't see after GenCon I didn't see that in my feed after Origins but definitely see it in my feed after BGGCon. Is there a reason for that, Steph? What do you think? Um, say that again. Well. I'll think about that. Say what? I'm not. I'm not sure exactly. Say what one more time. <laughs> what? Um, just that people in my feed are posting more about yeah. how many successful play tests they had at BGGCon, and then they're able to move forward with their game now. Um, but they, I don't see that after Gen Con. And I don't see that after Origins. Why after BGGCon? You know, I think. I think people do that after Origins, but I think that amongst the people that are like, I think that our, our community is interesting on Twitter, the people that we're involved in, and I think that it's a little isolated, so I don't know that that's necessarily representative, like, the whole, I think it's kind of a piece of it, mm -hmm. so I think that, because for me, the convention that I 
feel like I know the most people at is BGGCon. So I feel like a product of that is I'm going to see more people go. I'm I'm bringing something back from this. I'm 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 moving on from this. Um, also, Unpub just has a bigger presence at BGG Cons. I definitely think it's bigger than Gen Con, but I don't know. I think Origins is kind of creeping on up there too. However, Origins is in Ohio, and that's not really centrally located, so I don't know if as many people have access to Origins as people kind of do uh, in Dallas. Because I feel like yeah, Dallas I mean, that might be it too. I was just wondering if more located. people get actually. <clears throat> play tested by non-friends and non-other designers right. at BGG than they do at the other conventions because that, it's more organized. That, that could be the way that the main hall is set up because you're just enclosed in this big main hall and Origins is kind of like super spread out and you feel like when if you walk up to a table and it's people you don't know, you feel like you're interrupting someone and like I have social anxiety, so I'm not just gonna yeah. walk up to someone. That's, that's and very like, strange to hear. I am. I know. I really, I really do. I'm a very outgoing person, but I actually am shy and have you know. I get that. Anxiety. I get that feeling. I really, I really do. I I come home from conventions and I have to decompress, and I don't want to see or talk to anyone for a really long time. Um, but no, I think the way that the hall is set up in BGG, the way that you, you just have to like snake around. And you, the tables are so close, and it's enclosed. It just seems more intimate. Origins mm. is so open, and again, I would not walk up to a table at Origins, but I would absolutely walk up to a table at BGGCon and be like, "Hey, where are you playing?" Right. So it might be a little bit of the culture at that particular con that leads to right. more gameplays there. Interesting. Right. Okay, Tyler. Uh, one thing you had mentioned, Sen, um, with Twitter feeds, um, social media has hugely, vastly changed uh, the face of conventions because all these people that can never have before seen them or know what's going on, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm missing this, and this game was there, and, and this happened. So it's it's opened up and connected the gaming community. I know myself, uh, people are like, oh, this game was here, and I would just tweet the designer, say, hey, I'm a reviewer. Any chance? Yep, yeah, I'll send it to you right after the show type thing. Um, so it really, it's... Conventions were so exclusive before, but now you can you can go to it without actually attending and see everything that's there. But speaking of attending and interacting with stuff, Daryl, uh, speed dating, what's what's happening with that? Yeah, well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on what you were just last saying as well, uh, just real quick. Um, I think also we kind of we mentioned like Gen Con, for example. There's so many games releasing, and that is kind of hogging the microphone that. I think one of the reasons we're seeing on social media things like uh, games being playtested and and having a little bit of a voice of being um, getting some noise at BGGCon is because those are some of the stars of the show. It really is. You know, some of my highlights were were, were prototypes and uh, getting to even interact with you know friends like uh, like an Eric Lang who you know, gets to play his prototype with a handful of people right there on the floor in the big room and that multiple people can play that. That's not going to happen at, at Gen Con because not only would he get swarmed and that would just, you know, kind of end it, but also more people are talking about, you know, XCOM than talking about his prototype at, like, a Gen Con. So I think there's a couple of reasons why there's a bit of a different vibe and a different feel and a different kind of media out outlet coming out. Uh, concerning speed dating, um, I got to wear a unique hat this event, which was really a, a, a learning and fun experience. Uh, thankfully, um, over the last few years, I've built up a good relationship with Eggertspiel. A lot of people have never even heard of Eggertspiel, but they're a publisher out of Germany who is actually the, the credit holders or the publisher that found games like The Village, games like Camel Up, games like uh, right now Mombasa, Porta Negra, My Village, some really huge hits. And um, what happens is they always partner. They always find, for instance, in uh, North America, an American publisher to take care of the North American market. Their mindset is that they want to make high-quality games and focus their time and energy on developing games and then they want to find great partners and have them take care of their customers in their own regions. So for instance, uh, Stronghold had Porta Negra, very successful. I saw Stephanie teaching people it and a lot of people showing high interest in that game. And so for um, 
Eggertsfield, their goal is, well, instead of sending a whole team of people to learn that, you know, and teach that, um, why not just encourage, you know, for instance, Stronghold to do a great job and that they already have quality people in place so then their people can teach that game. So um, I got to wear the hat of a publisher and go through the speed dating as Eggertsfield. Uh, looking for games that would have international rights and then maybe even trickle back to North America through one of their partners. And that was some of the designers look at you weird? Because I know you yeah. as a designer. Oh, <laughs> it was real fun. Like, I'd sit down and they'd go, oh, no, no, you got to find your own table, Daryl. <laughs> and I'm like, nope, I am Eggertspiel. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then uh, uh, Phil was with me as well, but a lot of it he can't pick up because people, especially in a speed dating uh, scenario or speaking right. so They're fast. fast. And especially anyone who knows or has friends from Europe, one of the biggest tips is speak slowly. And that just does not work in that environment because you're trying yeah. to get out as much as you can in like your six minutes. So really I was kind of the listener and Philip was just kind of observing and then at the end when we'd walk I would translate <laughs> what he just experienced. It was... Uh, Funny, so we, you know, took the the sell sheets from everyone, and then afterwards we had to sit down and I talked them through each of the games, and uh, then we could follow up with the ones that we were interested in, and then I also got to be a headhunter and look throughout the whole time. I I kind of spread out the word amongst designers I knew, and said, if you have any games that you think would be a good fit for their catalog of games, let me know, and let's get set up a scheduled appointment. Sometimes I would view it and then show them to Philip, or Philip would sit in with me, and we'd listen to some pitches, and in the end, um, I managed to find a few games that they took, and a few games that they encouraged and said, like, we'd like to see them at a later stage, and a few games that they said, you know, aren't right for us, but, you know, keep working on them, and here's some other publishers to check out, so. Cool. Excellent. So that sounds like a good time had by all. Yeah, it was it was really interesting, and I mean, I guess I I want to ask Gil a question, kind of on this front. I I know uh, Formal Ferret is kind of wearing these multiple hats of you know you're you're trying to sell, and you're also trying to play test and develop, and how do you manage to juggle all that at uh, a con like this when you want to you know get those demos and you want to get you know, those sales, and you need to get so much sales to pay for yourself there. What What's the magic formula for Formal Ferret? I haven't really found it yet. It's my first year, and I'm still experimenting. Um, I, I do know that as when the vendor hall is open, it's, it's entirely 100% uh, the booth, although I was really fortunate in that I was able to build a good staff uh, for my booth. Uh, my booth mates, uh, Shayla Rucker and Michael Lohr and Todd Dershide and Al Fisher, uh, all were fantastic. So we were five people, but we would have two to three people in the booth at any time. And that was really a luxury. You know, It, let, it meant that if I had to walk out from the booth at any time, I knew that it was in good hands. Uh, so that, I think, is part of the formula is don't do it alone. You know, Get help. <laughs> and have people help you. Um, and then the other part is um, I decided for this con, once the whistle blew and 6 o'clock happened, um, I would revert to being a regular BGG con attendee, you know, and I usually, you know, would run upstairs. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a fridge uh, this con, and I grabbed a microwave meal out of, my, out of the freezer. I nuked it. That way I could have dinner in like 5 or 10 minutes, and then I would dash on over to uh, the hot games area, and I would try a new game. Uh, or I would try to meet up with someone that I hadn't seen, because at this point, BGG Con for me is a social con as much as it's a gaming con, and a lot of my enjoyment of BGG Con is just walking around and saying hi to people. You know, it doesn't even have to be playing games at this point, although, of course, the games are a big highlight. You know, so I think uh, having those delineations uh, is important. You know, saying uh, for this con at 6 o'clock, I... I I play games instead of sell games. Uh, and of course, that line's blurred. You know, there was one night where I tried to get demos of uh, Bad Medicine and the networks going uh, just to make sure that people were playing them in the big room uh, and, you know, give them more visibility. But thankfully, a lot of people did that job for me with Bad Medicine. It kept getting checked out of the library, which was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it really depends on the convention, it depends on feel, depends on how I'm feeling at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think there's one single formula, especially convention to convention, it's going to change. Excellent. Excellent. 
Stephanie, um, I am uh, asking you a question uh, about Legacy. <laughs> Legacy. <laughs> Legacy. What? Uh, what? <laughs> Can you shed some light on uh, some Legacy play? So this is something that we were talking about before the show. Is this is sort of a popular thing that's um, it's come about. Um, I first of all, I, I really enjoy legacy games. Um, I I don't enjoy the idea of like having to buy more stuff to to necessarily complete a game. But with the legacy, you don't necessarily have to do that because you can just they're supposed to be played as individual games. And you're supposed to not have to purchase additional stuff to feel like you have a complete story. Um, I really like legacy games. This is about to get like super deep right now. So the one thing that I think of when people ask you like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do with the world? Is I want to be remembered. Is the thing that I say. Mm -hmm. That sounds kind of selfish, but I I don't mean that like I want to be famous. I think I everybody wants that. that in a way. You want to yeah, be known. I, no, and not even that. I just I you want, want the, to know the Stephanie Straw wing of the hospital. No, not at all. I want I want to have an effect on people. I want to know that like the way the people have an effect on me, that and I think that would be lives. That would be great if I could have a positive effect, bring some value to people. <laughs> you you so, realize I'm going to come on the show with a blue wig next week, right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I will have effect. You, I mean, you, this you is really not. I'm in. I'm in the majority now. I was unique and special with brunette hair, and now I am not. So, but no. So a legacy game kind of makes me feel like, no matter what, like I am going to have an effect on something. Like the choices and the decisions that I make will have an effect on this game and future games, and that is, to me, the coolest idea ever. Whether or not I win this game, I could just, I could lose this particular game, but the things that I do, like if I name that island, or my, my character um, finds a tribe and then gives them some fruit, and now that tribe is somehow thriving, whereas that tribe would have totally gone away if I hadn't have been there and, and did something with them, so... I really like the idea that I can affect a game that much, um, and then Legacy is just super hot right now, and Rob D is like turning them out, yeah. <laughs> turning them out. So we've got um, uh, I, Rob making a couple games now. Uh, obviously, I, Pandemic Legacy, mm -hmm. uh, huge on the hotness, huge on the BGG list, and then one coming out from um, Artana, Artana, which is yeah. Origins. That one, Tony, who's watching the show right now, let a couple adventurers or whatever uh, people through that adventure, and that's another one that Rob is making in the ecosystem. He calls it. Yeah, uh, I played both. Yeah, did you get to play them, Gil? I didn't. Uh, not. No, I didn't get to play uh, Origins Legacy. Um, I am playing Pandemic Le Legacy right now. So, so, what are your thoughts on the Legacy system in general? <laughs> and how might you, as a designer? You know, maybe even utilize some of those things, or would you tread in that hallowed ground? Do you think, or is it, is it Mr. Davio's kind of real estate right now? What do you think? Oh, I don't think anything is anyone's real estate, and I think that's what makes the hobby so strong. You know, uh, I I think honestly, you know, when we got, for example, the deck building mechanism, uh, we got a slew of deck building games, and you know, while some of them were annoyingly similar to Dominion, we had a bunch that, like Eminent Domain uh, and a few Acres of Snow, that really started uh, handling their own, own ground. And likewise, when we got the worker placement mechanism with Kalis, uh, you know, then we got Agricola and we got Stone Age yep. and all that. So same thing with with the legacy system. You know, we're going to see people start to incorporate it and use it in ways that are different than uh, how Rob Davio uh, originally used it. And I think that's that's wonderful. It's one of the things that makes the hobby so strong. Uh, what I really like, there's a few things I love about the legacy system. I think it's it's a brilliant system, um, and I think. Uh, there's a few things I like about it. One is how you get to um, introduce an overarching storyline and you add uh, one extra layer of game to each individual game and uh, you can really build a narrative that way. And normally with a board game you can't really get a real emotional attachment because all you're really concerned about is the score. You know, when, when players are concerned about the score, about the outcome of this contest, that quantitative uh, output, uh, 
the, any sort of emotional uh, attachment sort of goes out the window. And a legacy system reintroduces that uh, same way as uh, when you have a video game that's like a first-person shooter. Uh, you've got the series of puzzles, but then you've got these inter interstitial cutscenes. And the legacy system is the closest thing that board gaming has to it. And I think it's a fantastic way of approaching that. Uh, it's also a nice way of introducing a bunch of small variants uh, and things that would have been small expansions uh, into the main trunk of the game. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a really nice way of folding all that stuff in and making that the canonical game. Uh, and then finally, uh, just this anarchic uh, way of, okay, you get to destroy the game, you get to consume the game as the game is happening. Uh, the only thing... There, there weren't many games that did that before. Uh, Freedom and Frieza had an old game called Falsha Fubziger, uh, where you got to destroy the money. You got paper money that got to crumple up in your hands. Um, and I never really saw anything like that up until the legacy system encouraged you to like destroy cards, and uh, that that's a great feeling. You know, the downside, of course, is you only get X number of plays out of the game. You know, like for Pandemic Legacy, between like 12 and 24. But honestly, for most gamers, I think that's going to be enough, and you get such a meaningful experience out of. It, I think gamers are willing to willing to do that. That, that very thorough response, Gil. I really appreciate that. Um, always appreciate your wisdom on this topic. I'm going to actually keep the conversation going in a little bit because um, I know Stephanie is passionate about storytelling and uh, narrative. And um, I especially was curious what you think of now how the ecosystem or Origins is kind of putting a, a twist when it comes to legacy, the way that it works, from my understanding, is that actually the legacy mechanic is from game to game. So it's not as much in play, but it's actually going to affect from shifting from one game to the next game. It's going to inform and influence your story as you go into it and have a little bit of narrative now approaching that next game in the ecosystem. How do you feel about that as a gamer? Yeah, so Origins <clears throat> specifically, but uh, the ecosystem, uh, Rob Davio has plans for, um, so you each have sort of a character sheet. Um, and everything you're doing, of, of course it affects the game. Of course anything that you're doing in a game sure, is going to yes. affect the game. But the specific legacy portions are for the future games. So in Origins, um, you are all part of this tribe and you're kind of like a budding tribe, and the tribe has, isn't really very established, and you, whatever you do in that game, you as a person can have an effect on whether or not that tribe succeeds or fails. So it's, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't call it semi-cooperative. It is competitive, but there is an element of the things that we do will have permanent effect, and that permanent effect could be negative in that this tribe could fail. So there, if that's not the kind of story that you want to continue, you as gamers, as you're playing this game and then you're going to play the next game, then you might want to help mitigate that and you will have to work together to do that. So it's really an interesting thing to think about that, yeah, I can win this game or I can lose this game or whatever, but the thing is, what do we want our story to be? Like, what do we want, what do we want our empire to be? Who, I mean, someone will eventually have an empire and a kingdom and etc., but what do we want this experience to be? Do we want to have a bunch of tribes that don't that that fail, and so we only have one kind of clear winner, and then we play the last game, and we've got you know sort of a desolate world where only the strongest have survived, and a bunch of the weaker have died down. So it's kind of interesting, and in that you have to make those decisions, not just on the gameplay, not just on do I want to win, not just on victory points, but What's going to be fun for me? What's going to be a good story? And I really like that. I thought you would. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Artana, the uh, publisher with Echo, and uh, both Dirk and Rob are co-designing the Echo series games, and they're going to be doing some really neat stuff with that. So keep an eye on that. Um, as Tony was, is mentioning in our YouTube feed, they're really going to focus on a few different things. So, for instance, Stone Age is resource management, Bronze Age, Bronze Age will be area control and wargaming and etc. So you're actually going to see the legacy mechanic applied to different game mechanics, which I think uh, is kind of what Gil was even mentioning about kind of this evolution of combinations of mechanics. And hopefully we'll see it from a variety of people so that we get to see their different interpretations. Yeah, but I think uh, we're going to get try to get Rob on the show once Seafall gets out, right, Joe? Yeah, so originally when we 
uh, booked uh, Rob. He said he would come on the show once Seafall was ready to drop. Uh, this was a while ago. We booked him in April, um, and he did not anticipate that Origins would be out before Seafall because Seafall is actually done as well. I saw it at the at the Plaid Hat party. Um, was playing that among some hat, other Steph, games. One of the hat, yeah. No, Stephanie. Stephanie's busy chatting with people on the YouTube, yeah. and uh, which is great. Sorry, what about we the hat? Love, oh, I was just saying, point of the hat, because I was at the Plaid Hat party, um, and that's where I saw Seafall being played amongst other games. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's just keep in mind that this legacy mechanic and this conversation is just we you know we just started this topic. This and, conversation is legacy. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're affecting future conversations. We're going to have a future conversation about this, and this conversation is going to affect that. So, <laughs> Can I scar something? I need to scar something. Yeah, and you need to scar some cards so that you remember forever that we need to have this conversation again. Uh, but I'm going to pass it to Tyler. We're going to go through our last questions. Uh, Tyler's going to rock out his Movember uh, mustache while he asks this, um, and then uh, Sen will follow up with Steph. And then, sadly, uh, we're going to have to call it a night because uh, the, the time has disappeared. So, uh, Tyler, you got a question for Gil? I do, Gil. Uh, what advice would you give to new designers going to BGGCon for the first time? It uh, depends on what they're trying to do. Um, okay, I, that's great. Thanks. No, <laughs> just Go ahead. Um, so I'd say if they're try if they want to pitch their game, uh, research your publishers and make sure that you've got a good match of a publisher to the game you're trying to pitch. Um, make sure that you're not trying to pitch, for example, um, uh, like if you're I'm just going to make something up. Uh, let's say you're pitching. First off, if you're approaching Stronghold, know that Stronghold has a really huge queue and it's got to be something like Stevens looking for three things, and you have to know what the three things are. Um, all I remember the three things is one of them is fantastic. So uh, there, there you go. <laughs> that, that, that is that is one of them. Welcome to Steven's world. Um, uh, but uh, if you're if you're looking to get feedback on your prototype, you know, make sure that um, you know you're ready for feedback. Um, I always make sure people know that uh, you know I don't like the terms good play test and bad play test because they don't always mean the things that they think they mean. You know, a play test where the game breaks and you spend an hour taking it apart and saying why it wasn't any fun. That's a good play test. That's a really good play test because you generally find out what went wrong and that tends to be a really pivotal moment in the game's history. It's not a pleasant play test, but it's a good play test. You know, a bad play test is one where everybody just says it was okay. I liked it. That's a bad play test because you didn't get much of a reaction um, and uh, you know so so have have your goal know what you want and you can have multiple goals but know what your goals are um, and uh, and know how um, how to go and if your goal is just to have fun then there's plenty of that at BGGCon as well oh and uh, most importantly get a lot of sleep and take showers and eat and eat real food, real food. Yes, eat real food. Don't just insist on pr like pretzels and chocolate. Oh God, because, uh, that's a good way to get sick. You know, um, have your meals, have your sleep. Uh, the con will be waiting for you when you wake up. You can't do everything. Don't try to do everything. You know, if you pick one thing, don't be so delighted that I want to do the other thing. No, be in the thing, be in the place you are, and have a great time with it. I'm it's not sure funny. what Steph is doing. Uh, it's <laughs> funny and sad at the same time that. So often we have to remind people to shower at conventions. It's gross and weird. Yeah, you but can do different. everything. You can do it. You Don't listen to Gil. You can't do everything. everything. I did everything. I did look, everything. Look at her. Turn blue. Look at I her. Definitely <laughs> didn't do everything. I did do everything. I did do everything. She was Name under the illusion. Name one thing I didn't do. Uh, you didn't answer scheme. my tweet. Oh, sorry. You, you didn't play Ponzi my scheme. games. Ponzi scheme. Ponzi I scheme. Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme. I brought home Ponzi scheme. Uh, I am the Ponzi scheme. I don't want the Ponzi scheme. <laughs> All right, Ponzi Steph. Scheme. Last question to you. <coughs> um, so I'm going to twist this up a little bit. Uh, as we were talking about legacy games, if you were to have the ear of a designer and said, "Hey, make me a game with legacy mechanics," what would you want to see? a legacy game to either either be about or what kind of legacy type mechanics would you want to see in a game? I want evolution and legacy. I want um, like species to evolve. 
I don't want to see like the different types of species and how they would adapt to their environment. Like if someone makes a decision that um, they build a dam and this lake runs dry, that fish like grow legs and now they don't have gills. They can breathe oxygen throughout the air and stuff like that. That's I want the evolution of species. Specifically, I want to be a dragon. That would be really cool. Um, there, you heard it right there, folks. I want to be a legacy dragon, dragon. The origin story. I want to be a legacy dragon. No, I just I like the idea of like not just humanity, but the environment evolving because I feel like a lot of legacy games are like empires, like civilization. I want to see more than that. I want to see the environment evolve. I want to see the world change, um, yeah. like drastic effects. So metamorphosis. Right. I want I want the timeline to be. Huge. I mean, and Rob did that with um, Origins. Like, he's got Bronze Age, Stone Age, and beyond. But, like, I want, like, worlds, planets, like, terraforming. Like, I want I want huge you, change. You want an you RPG want a, game. You want a video game. Yeah. No, no. It's a board game. It's a board it's game. Sorry. It's going to happen. Make it, make it for me. Lots make of stickers. Lots make of this, stickers. Like, this is so much scarring. So much scarring. So much scarring. So much stickers. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. All right, well, thank you. I want to say thank you both to Stephanie and Gil, uh, a couple of our favorites, as they know. Yes. We do love them very much and really um, take any excuse we can to have them on the show. Um, thank you for sharing some stories from BGGCon and giving us a glimpse into that and pointing us to some wonderful games that we need to check out and some designers we need to check out and support. Uh, I want to say thanks to my fellow hosts, Sin and uh, Tyler. Thank you for all you do. Keep making uh, great games out there, people, and we look forward to trying your games out soon. Good night, everyone. Night, night.